As you all are taking a seat or figuring out if you have the opportunity to take a seat, I want some of you to know this reminds me of the good old days. Uh, a lot of you uh, weren't around, but in my day, there were semesters that were spent at common grounds outdoors and on the ground. We didn't even have this stuff, um, and I remember sitting in like the parking lot next door pretty regularly as a student. And so these, these remind me of the good old days. This is a sweet time. Um, don't worry. Uh, for those that are standing, I'm going to, uh, I cut my sermon in half, okay? So you're welcome for those in the back. Uh, but anyways, just quick thing. What an awesome opportunity you have to earn a t-shirt and bring a friend that's never been to Vertical. Like, that's so cool. I didn't, I didn't sign off on that, so I don't know how that's, like, even happening. But that sounds like a really cool idea. And so, and, and JP, what a great guy to bring uh, a friend to come here. And uh, he's just such a faithful communicator. And so, um, how many of you were here last week? Miller Chapel. Wow, I'm surprised you came back after those two outages to start the night. But uh, for those that have never been to Vertical Welcome, we're really glad you're here. This is not always the way it looks, but um, this is what we make work because of the weather and because this is the best way we can protect our stuff. So thank you for staying connected on social media or just having friends that actually inform you of those things. So anyways, when I was in college, um, I'm not sure if I was a senior or junior in college, I helped lead this D now. We know what a D now is, a few of us, okay, a few of the Baptists, sure, okay. So um, I helped lead a D now with my friend Derek Davidson. He invited me to lead this D now with him and I'm, I'm kind of with him and I'm, you know, there's everything you'd expect in a D now. And what it is, it's like a retreat inside the city that you actually live in. You just go to one friend's house and everyone spends the night there. And uh, it was exactly what, it, like, there was so much candy. There was, like, those zebra cakes. Like, I can vividly remember zebra cakes and Kit Kat bars and just an abundance of those things. And then also there's, like, soda. It's every middle schooler and, like, every middle schooler's dream, okay? And so I was doing this D now, and that Friday night, I, I, my stomach starts to hurt. And, you know, I'm like, I'm a man. I can handle too many Kit Kat bars, okay? I should be able to handle this. It's clear that uh, that should not be uh, keeping me from leading well this weekend. Then we go to bed, wake up the next uh, morning, we go through Saturday, and this pain in my stomach starts to grow. And I think, you know what? I should have stopped eating Kit Kat bars. Shouldn't have had it for breakfast, right? Like, there's things where I'm like, you know, I did this and it could have been this. So I, I, I'm still just keeping it to myself. I'm not telling anyone, okay? But I'm starting to have to kind of like lean forward in the way that I'm walking. And so I'm like kind of lean forward. We're like playing games. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool. Don't touch me, okay? Don't even get near me, okay? And so that's kind of the way it's working. And we get through to Saturday night after Bible study. I vividly remember this because it was such a sweet time of Bible study. And in my stomach, there was this pain that was unstoppable. And it was uh, I can't even describe to you the pain that I was in. And the man in me was like, I, I, I cannot tell people about this because I'm on just a short retreat. It's nothing. It's Kit Kats, right? And so I think it's this. But finally, after Bible study, I tell Derek, I said, Derek, I need you to take care of the kids, okay? You can go play, capture the flag with them. I need to go to bed. Like, I need to sleep off this pain. And so he's like, of course, Dale. well, first he's like, are you sure? Like, I'm not sure if I can handle this. There's too many kids. And then he's like, yeah, of course, go to bed. Like, I, I'm sorry to hear that you're not feeling well, whatever. And so what ends up happening is I am unable to sleep because of the excruciating pain that I'm in. And uh, 
And so I thought I was going to sleep off the pain, but the pain kept me from sleeping. And at about 2 or 3 a.m., I realized I need to go to the hospital. And, uh, but again, I'm like, you know what? I can't say anything. There's all these kids. They're like, we're in charge. We're responsible for these teenagers. I can't just bail in the middle of the night. I'm like literally considering who do I know that can take care of these kids in Waco in the middle of the night? Like who is up? Which one of my crazy friends is up? Take care of these, these kids. And so I wait until 7 or 8 a.m. and Derek wakes up and I'm like, Derek, Derek, we need to go to the hospital right now. And my brother's a doctor, so I think I'm a doctor. So I've decided that... Uh, that I needed, I needed hydration, okay? Without going into too much detail, I had lost all of my fluids, okay? And so I'm like, Derek, let's go to the hospital. They'll just zap me. It'll be good. Fluids will be, will be so good, so sweet. Don't even worry about it. My brother's a doctor. So we get there. We went to the minor emergency clinic trying to save money. At that time, there was a recession. And so uh, we're there, and like after three questions, they're like, hey, they write, this lady writes something on a piece of paper and she hands it to me and she goes, you need to go to the hospital. You need to have surgery. And here's a note to get your appendix removed. And I'm like, that's weird. I thought I just needed like the fluids. Like give it to me. And she's like, no, go now. It'll be great. And so uh, I'm like, I don't know. Thus far, it was hard for me to tell Derek to like take me to the hospital that like took a lot of my pride away like it, t- it took humility which I'm not used to it wasn't definitely wasn't used to at the time and so that took time and then I was like man I have to call my mom now and my mom is not going to handle this well it doesn't matter what organ of the body that's going to be removed she's not going to handle this well but again I have my brother's a surgeon so I call him I'm like Brad can you tell mom about this surgery that I'm about to have he's like which one is it? I'm like, appendix removal. He's like, oh, yeah, I've done that. I'm like, okay, you're calling her, dude. I'm not calling her. You tell her. So my brother calls her, and in the end, um, it, my appendix removed. It's all good, okay? I know you all were super worried about it. Uh, everything is fine. Um, and so, but the reason why I tell you that story tonight, and just to start off the night, is that a lot of times for some of us, it's hard to let people into our lives, it, whether it be a sickness or sin or a spiritual thing, you know, whatever it is, like sometimes it's hard to let people in. And in fact, the whole weekend I was wrestling with whether or not I should let somebody in. Like, is this too heavy for me to bear on my own? Should I let somebody in? Or like even how long should it be until I wait until I let somebody else in on this? Like at what point do we need to seek higher help, i.e. I- the emergency room? Like at what point was I going to go to that? Like there was these decisions I was making about the levels at which I was going to be letting people in. And so very briefly tonight, we're going to talk about letting people in. And what it looks like to let people into our lives. And um, we're going to talk about this thing that, it's funny that we struggle to let people in sometimes, but at the other end of this is this thing that we all want. It's this thing that brought us to Baylor, possibly. It's the thing that convinced us to join an organization. It's, it's this thing that uh, helped us to choose the roommates that we live with, or uh, uh, whatever it is, or maybe even the major. And that thing is community. Like, we all want community. If we don't get community, we're transferring. It's on to the next place where we can find better community. Am I right? Like, this is the thing we all long for in everything we do. Yet at the same time, there's parts of us that struggle to let people in. So this is so applicable tonight. And even, even more so, my, my roommate and I were taking Q&A the other day at Baylor. And there were only two questions asked because I talked too long. And the only two questions that were asked were about friendship. 
and what relationships and what community actually should look like. And it was fascinating to us that, that students would ask these questions. And so we think it's, I think it's really important to talk about this because it's typically this buzzword that's like this hook. It's really easy to say. It's like, hey, come be a part of our family. And we're like, yes. And then we're left empty. And we're left lonely by relationships. So we need to learn what true community looks like tonight. I'm going to talk about this community, this gospel living is what I'll, I'll describe it as. Uh, and two things that we're going to learn tonight, we were going to learn four, but we're only going to learn two now, okay? The two things that we're going to learn tonight is that true community or community continually restores and bears. Those are the only two things we're going to get to tonight. It's going to seem really simple. Um, but we're going to be in Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5, if you want to turn in your Bibles. And what you need to know about Galatians 6 is that Paul is writing to the church in Galatia and he has just finished talking about, does anybody know Galatians 5? Fruits of the Spirit. Okay, fruits of the Spirit, Bible drills, who knows, okay. Uh, so he's just finished talking about the fruits of the Spirit and what it looks like when we are living with the Spirit in us, with Christ in us, the way that looks in those different like, characteristics that we have as individuals as we abide in the Spirit. And so if you're interested in the Spirit and what it looks like to walk in the Spirit, read Galatians 5, read John 15. Those are great things. And so what this is going to talk to us about is the way that the fruits of the Spirit are lived out in community. And uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help us understand th- these common questions of how do we deal with the people that are sinning, that claim to be believers, pretty common question that I get in, when I'm spending time with, with people, and then two um, how, how do we handle just, not just sin, but really any circumstance? Like, how are we supposed to come alongside those people? And so, uh, as I say this, know that for those of you that aren't believers here tonight, uh, I'm so glad you're here, but this portion of scripture is written to believers. Uh, it's written for true community within the body of Christ, the church, the church in the sense of like, the people of the church and what it should look like. So know that this is for believers tonight and what true community should look like in all of us that are claiming Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So let's turn Galatians 1, verses 1 through 5, starting in verse 1. We're not going to get very far, okay? Verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So our first point tonight on what it looks like, what community should really look like, is that community should continually restore. Community should continually restore. What we see in this verse, verse one alone, is that your friend that's a believer, that's caught in this sin or this transgression, it is our responsibility to restore them and, and with gentleness and humility. Those are also keys here. We, we see this and, and you say, hey, Dale, but like this says you who are spiritual, I'm not that spiritual. And, and that might be what you're thinking tonight. Like this isn't called, this isn't what I'm called to. I'm not a super saint. I, I sometimes struggle with the same things or similar things or even worse things than the very thing that I would restore my brother from or sister from. And that's a valid argument and that's fair. But what this is saying about those who are spiritual is those that are walking in the spirit, Galatians 5, 16, that those that have the fruits of the spirit, uh, those are the spiritual people. And uh, 
And, and just to be je- devil's advocate with you, like, at what point will you be spiritual? I'm just, I just want to clarify, uh, are you going to wait until you're stainless from sin to help restore a brother? Because in that case, you're going to wait till you're standing um, in heaven with the Lord. And at that point, it might be too late. So it's something to consider that this might be a call for all of us, um, that especially those that are spiritual. The call is for those that are spiritual. Anyways, you might not have needed that clarification, but I gave it to you anyways. So um, this caught in transgression that it's talking about in verse 1, if anyone is caught in transgression... And really, when it's talking about anyone, it's talking about the body, the church that's in Galatia. So no, it's the body of Christ. Uh, If anyone in the body or that church is caught in sin, caught in transgression, is is this imagery of a Christian being overtaken with sin, like a uh, a runner uh, or a walker, excuse me, is overtaken with a runner. Like you're on the bear trail, you're walking, and somebody overtakes you as a runner. It kind of is startling somewhat surprising, not always something that you realize. They just kind of are there in their past and it's whatever, okay? It's this, it's this sin that's, that's uh, not always something that we like see so clearly. And that's why it's our job as fellow believers to help restore people because it's hard to see in our own lives sometimes. And so this verse shows us that it is a command for us to restore brothers and sisters in sin. It is a command for us as gospel believers to restore our brothers and sisters that are also believers in the gospel. And uh, what, what I love here is that this Greek, uh, the, you who are spiritual should restore in a spirit of gentleness. What it really is, is it's this imperative. It's a command. It's, it's exactly the way our lives should be lived. True community should, without a doubt, include restoration within our relationships. And so... Uh, it's this not optional thing. It's this imperative thing. And, and you might be thinking, whoa, this guy on the stage, he's being a little judgmental. Can't just go around like being the sin police. Like I'm not God. Hasn't he read Matthew 7? I, I'm sin police. What is that? I, I don't know. But Matthew 7 says, judge not lest you be judged. Am I right? Like we've heard this. This is actually the most common thing I hear towards restoring anyone in sin. And, and I'm going to read it for us really quickly because I think it's really a valuable argument, but we need to understand how these coexist and not actually uh, uh, keep, keep from us restoring people. So let's read Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and the, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so what we see is is this like keeping from judgment. And what I want to make clear to you in Galatians 6.1, when it comes to restoring our brothers and sisters, restoration with gentleness means that it is not judgment. You can't be judgmental if you are gentle, or excuse me, you can't be judgmental if you are restoring with gentleness and humility. That's not judgment. That's loving. Okay? And so in verse five, it says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your own eye, or out of your brother's eye, excuse me. And so to me, these coexist by the fact that when we remove the log out of our eye, 
when we show others our logs in some ways, I think that's the most effective way, uh, personally, that is in itself gentleness and humility. Saying, hey, I'm not above it either. Let me show you my sin. But, but let me also show you something that I see clearly in your life. And, and I'm not above it. I could be dealing with the very same sin myself. But I just want you to know that you know, the word judgment is just tossed around so flakily. I don't know. That's not a word. I don't know the way it's thrown around, but it's, it's just loose. And when in reality, we have a responsibility for restoration as a body of believers. And so um, this is so important. Because uh, St. Augustine says it this way, there is no sin which one person has committed that another person may not commit it also. So in summary, sin happens, okay? It happens in all of us, okay? Not to make light of it, but there are times that we need people to restore us as believers. And there are also times in which we need to be restoring others within the body. And the reason why I think this is so valuable and so important is because most of the time when we see sin in other people, we're very busy and very quick to socially and spiritually like excommunicate them. I'm not talking about church discipline. That is a rare thing. Church discipline is a rare thing. But in reality, like somebody is caught up in a sin and we're like, you know what? We're we're just too busy. We're just going to cut them out instead of seeking them out. Like we are so busy. We're too busy cutting others out instead of seeking others out. We're too busy talking behind people's backs instead of having people's backs as a body of believers. We're on the same team, but we're so quick to see somebody do something and turn around and go be part of the problem and stir the pot of the problem. When in reality, we are called to be a part of the solution and help with restoration. We talk about other sin with everyone, but the very person that we should be talking about it with. And just to be clear, gossip is the opposite of restoration. Gossip is the opposite of restoration. So what do we do? Like, what's, what's, what's our next point? What does this look like as we live it out? And here's what, I, here's what I think it looks like. It looks like taking the log out of our own eye, living with gentleness and humility, and restoring our brothers and sisters. Very simply, a sentence that I use really regularly is this. Hey, can I share with you something I've seen in your life that might be destructive? I might be wrong. Like you might actually think I'm wrong, in which case you might be right that I'm wrong. Like you can even clarify the fact that like, this is just something I see and I'm not sure if it's right, okay? That, that might be the question that you ask. Maybe, and Matthew 18 might be a good guideline for those of you that are interested in this. You're like wrestling with what this looks like. Matthew 18, another good guide. But Tim Keller asked this question. And I want to ask this to you tonight. Is there a habitual sin that you need to gently restore a brother from tonight? I don't know. I don't know what it is for you, whether or not there's somebody you know and the the really awkward thing that's making me sweat even in this moment and the humidity of Waco, this, this is, it might be the person sitting next to you. I don't know. Or even uh, maybe uh, I think a better question is, are you and I, this is both of us, are we willing to listen to others who seek to restore us? Because 
if somebody's seeking to restore us, that means they truly love us. That's something we need to keep in mind. One of the hardest conversations I ever had uh, in my entire life came very recently, actually, uh, when I lived in Dallas, just before I moved to Waco. I had somebody sit me down and tell me very clearly, hey, Dale, can I share with you something that I see in your life that might not be what's best for you? And me being, you know, I was like, uh, sure, I guess. Sounds like a weird sentence, even though I just told you to use it. But uh, I said, sure, like, let me know. What is it? And this guy looked me in the eyes and in the most loving way possible told me, you are not hot stuff. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what does that even mean? First of all, like, right? Like I, like, I don't know what that means. And he was like, no, like, the way that you treat and interact with other people makes it seem like you are above other people. And even more so, the way that you go about certain parts of your job, you think you are too good to do the little things. You think you're hot stuff. And I can see it in your life. And you think that's kind of funny, listening to me tell you this story. It's kind of like made you chuckle a little bit. But the reality is, That was not funny. There was nothing funny about that conversation. Still not funny when I tell you now. There were many tears that came after that. Why? Because my friend was right. And he was seeking to restore me. And sometimes restoration comes with a little bit of tension, a little bit of awkwardness, a little bit of difficulty. And sometimes restoration even requires some sort of confrontation. Hence the part about humility and gentleness because it will be required as we go about this. And in the end, we need to be more known for the people around us. Uh, We need to be more known in the way that we're patient with people than we we are passive. Like our our tendency is for my friend that sat me down to see that I think I have a deep-seated pride and for him to just be passive about it. But in reality, he needed to be patient and restore me and walk with me through it. Let's keep reading. We see that the first point, before we keep reading, sorry, is that community continually restores. And the second point we're going to learn tonight is from verses 2 through 5. Let's read. It says this. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. That's where we're going to stop. So our second point is this. Very simply, community continually restores. That's our second, or excuse me, that was our first point. It's uh, community continually restores. Our second point is community continually bears. It is a bearing of burdens that our lives should reflect. Our lives as we live in community should be constantly bearing the burdens of ourselves and and one another. What this looks like and what this means, let's dive more into this because this is like this Christianese thing that we're like, yeah, let me write that down. Bearing burdens, I've heard that. Don't know exactly what it means. So what this is showing us in, in verses two through five is that everyone has a load to bear. But there are times where this, bear, this bearing is in excess. This, this burden that we're bearing is in excess. And in those moments, we need a spot. John Stott says it this way. It, he says, human friendship 
in which we bear one another's burdens is part of the purpose of God for his people. So we should not keep our burdens to ourselves, but rather seek a Christian friend who will help him or who will help, who will help to bear them with us. What we see in this verse is we fulfill this law of love, this law of Christ, this law of loving our neighbors as ourselves by bearing the, the burdens of one another. And, and you might say, hey, in this verse, it says bearing, bearing the burdens of one another, but it also says bear your own load. Like these seem contradictory. Let's talk about it. Uh, it. It seems that way, but the burden in verse two, as you see, as we look at God's word, the burden in verse two is excessive. Where this burden or load in verse 5 is like a personal backpack. It's this responsibility. It's an appropriate load that the Lord has entrusted to us personally. And so it's important to distinguish these things because there's some of us that are carrying our backpack of personal responsibility that the Lord has given us tonight and we're, we're fine. And that's okay. But after taking prayer requests from last week, what our team, as we were praying for you, realized is that there is also a large group of people here that have an excess of a load. And it's actually more significant than I would have thought. But there tends to be people on two ends of the spectrum. There are these people that are totally fine. They're like, my life's good. Summer's almost here. I'm going to camp. It's going to be great. Like, they're all fine. Like, they have their chacos on already. And then on this end, we have these people that are like, I just need help. And I don't know who to tell. And nobody knows what's going on in my family. Nobody knows what's going on in, in my, my classes. I'm about to be kicked out of my major. I don't know what it is. But there are these two like groups of people that I saw in these prayer requests from last week. And the reality is that we're supposed to be going these, through these things together. Because so many of us are surrounded, let, yet utterly lonely. We're surrounded with people, look around, surrounded. Yet so many people in here have an, a burden that they can't, they can't bear but they feel alone. And we don't even want to be a burden. We we're kind of afraid to tell people, like I was afraid to tell Derek that we need to go to the hospital. We're afraid to be a burden. I've even found myself saying the words, even texting somebody being like, hey, I'm going here. I need this from you, but I don't want to be a burden. Like that's the way we live. We don't want to be a burden. We don't want to step on toes. We like, we're afraid of this. But in the end, we need to remember that we weren't meant to do this life alone. Even before the fall of man, in Genesis 2.18, God gives Adam Eve. We weren't meant to do this alone. And so tonight, if you're, if you're burdened, then you need to consider first to allow Jesus to be the burden bearer for you but also to consider, consider as a believer to, to let other believers in. If you have this burden that you are, is just a load that is in excess, then you need to let others in. We have community and we have Jesus Christ. And if you're not carrying a burden tonight, then maybe we should look around and be more helpful to others. 
there's a lot of work to be done on Baylor's campus. There's a lot of work to be done on MCC, TSTC, wherever you're at. And, and I think there's really only one barrier, or there's one big barrier to bearing burdens. It's tongue-tied tonight. Sorry, all the words sound the same. Um, there's a big barrier to bearing burdens, and we see it in verse, verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul just kind of slides this in here. It's this barrier of pride. It's a lack of humility that keeps us from letting others help us take the, bear, the burden off of our backs to help us with it. It's, it's this, this pride that doesn't let others in or it's this pride that our pack is fine and those people are making me look better because of how low they're going and how high. I'm like, fine, look at me. Like, it's just comparison. Like, my load's fine. Instead of helping them, we just look down on them and think better about ourselves. So there's this barrier, lack of humility. So there's a barrier of pride to, to bearing burdens, excuse me. In high school, this is how I'll illustrate it. When I was in high school, I was a small little guy, okay? And, uh, and that actually hasn't changed. And uh, I also couldn't lift very much weights. When I was playing sports, I, I wasn't very strong. Uh, still am not very strong physically, but it, that's beside the point. Um, but what I remember when I was in high school was when we would lift our, our heaviest loads when we were squatting, what we would do is, we would, uh, you know, we'd take the bar. For those of you that aren't athletic, like, don't worry about it. I'm so sorry for constantly using athletic illustrations. Um, don't hate me. But uh, so what we do is we take the bar on squats and we go down and we take it up, you know, that thing. But when we were, kept, when we were um, trying to lift weights that we weren't sure if we could lift, we would invite what in? Spotters. Wow, there's so many athletes here. So cool. Uh, what we would do is we would invite spotters. There were these people that were taking the weight, but then there were these people behind the people squatting, at least, were these people that were going with the person lifting the weights. And, and on either side of the bar, there was even people that were uh, at any moment going to grab the bar and help bring the weight back to the top. Because when you're squatting, I, I don't know much about this, but when you squat a ton of weight, you need a bunch of spotters. Like, that's what's required. It, it, somebody in the back can't just, like, lift up with their arms. Like, that's not the way it works. You need, like, people on either side getting, like, all their body into it. That's, that's what a real spotter is like. And, and I think it's a great example of the way that we should be living. Like, community continually bears. It bears burdens. The way that we should live our lives is by bearing one another's burdens. And it looks like just being a spotter for people. And when that load is too heavy, saying, hey, spot, I can't, can't get it back up. I need help. You got to let people in. So in closing, some of you should go home tonight and read Romans 15. It has a very similar uh, organizational structure of the passage of Galatians 6, 1 through 10, which is the verses we were supposed to read tonight. And I love, in, in, in Galatians 6, this title, uh, this subtitle in my Bible is Bearing One Another's Burdens. I don't know what it says in yours. Those were added later, so not that, it doesn't matter that much. But 
In, in Romans 15, it has a very similar outline, but it's entitled something different. It's entitled the example of Jesus Christ. We have this person of Jesus who has offered us restoration through having a right relationship with him. And that's the first point we learned tonight is restore. And Jesus is the ultimate restorer. And then, and then the second thing that we learned tonight is that we're to bear burdens. We're, we're, our community, as we live in our community, we should be these people that bear. And we're bailer bears. Like this should be simple and I hate puns. So that was dumb, but we're gonna keep moving. We have Jesus who was the ultimate burden bearer who took every weight that you can't handle and even the weight that you think you can handle. And he took it on the cross. He was the ultimate restorer. He was the ultimate bearer of burdens. And we know this. Some of us, we celebrated it this weekend. But the reason why I'm telling you this tonight, why we're spending some time in this, is because our lives don't reflect the fact that we are friends with the most ultimate restorer. Our lives don't reflect that we are in right relationship with the ultimate burden bearer. Because we're not living as we should as believers in the body of Christ. The reason why we're teaching this tonight, we're supposed to be in this series called uh, What You Won't Hear in Sunday School. I made that up. It was dumb. And uh, they're supposed to get to a verse where it said, like, in summary, like, we need to be better to each other within the body of Christ. And, And I thought that was really interesting. What you won't hear in Sunday school is that you are your own worst enemy. Like, what you won't hear is that, like, some of the people we have the most difficult times with are other believers. And in some ways, I think it's because we're not allowing our lives, we're not allowing the gospel and Jesus Christ and our relationship with him to change the way that we live. Because we should be known as a body of believers, as a group that are restorers, and as a group that bears burdens. And so non-believers tonight, I kind of mentioned that this was to believers. But what you might have noticed is that this, this community, this true community of restoration, this true community of bearing burdens, and this person of Jesus who's the ultimate restorer and the ultimate bear, or burden bearer, excuse me, is a person that is the only way that we can get through the difficulties in life. He's the only hope in every season. And so if you're not a believer tonight, I'd encourage you to consider the loads that you've, ba- you've bared in your life. And maybe tonight's load isn't that bad, and you're like, no, I'm good. Think back to the times that you needed hope, and you had nothing to turn to. And I'm inviting you and, in, and telling you there is something we can turn to, and it's the person of Jesus, the ultimate restorer and the ultimate burden bearer. In the end, if I hadn't gone to the hospital for my appendix to get it removed, um, something bad could have happened. For those that know appendixes, uh, there's this thing that happens and it ruptures if, if you don't get it removed quick enough. And it actually causes a lot of complications 
eventually it wreaks havoc and destruction. Some people die from, from appendix ruptures and uh, infections within their bodies. And so I just want you to know that it's something we need is true community. Something we need for one another is to restore one another and bear one another's burdens. This is something we need because eventually we'll be led to destruction and there's a point where we'll have no other hope. And so tonight I'm encouraging us to live as we are called to because it's for God's glory and our good that we let others into our lives. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for being the ultimate restorer. Thank you for being the ultimate uh, burden bearer. I thank you for giving us the example so that we can restore and we can bear one another's burdens as a body of believers. And Lord, I just pray you would help us to do this better. I pray that you would give us humility and gentleness and the fruits of the Spirit to go about living in the, in the ways of community that you've called us to. And Lord, I, I pray for those tonight that are gonna have tough conversations of restoration. I pray you give them peace. I pray for those that are here tonight that are about to um, have people talk to them about things that need to be restored in their lives. And I pray you give them humility. And Lord, I pray that you help us to all be a group of people that knows what it looks like to spot one another. To allow others to spot when we need them. Lord, we thank you for your cross that gives us hope no matter the burden. We thank you for your spirit and your power which gives us restoration no matter how deeply entangled we are. So Lord, tonight we just ask that you would work in our lives. Help us to be a better, uh, not better and do good work for you so that we can boast, but Lord, so that you may be glorified so we can be lights and we can be salt for you on this campus. Lord, we love you and praise you. And we just pray all this in your son Jesus' name.